Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. This podcast is intended to be listened to in order, starting at episode one. This is episode five, Boys and Girls. Previously on Dakota Spotlight. Still have or still are in touch with their small town roots where people know each other, where, they're, where they are accountable to each other. Morton County Sheriff Kyle Kirchmeyers ruled out foul play as a cause of death for 51-year-old Victor Newberry of Glen Ullen. In so many words, in their drunken state, yeah, they would always say, you're a dead man and shit like that. Where everybody knows everybody, and it's kind of expected when you live in a small town, everybody knows pretty much everything. Law enforcement are trained to give you a loop around and very much obvious when they are. Back when that thing happened, it seemed like it was kind of swept under the rug, you know? I said, Victor, no, you don't want to do shit like that. Because he thought shit was going to go down and he just, he wanted some protection. This isn't like CSI Miami or CSI, you know, New York or whatever. It just doesn't happen like that. He wasn't no dummy that way. And the Victor, if he would have went down that ditch and got stuck, he would have walked that quarter mile. He would not have stayed there. And you would think that there would be a big investigation. But it never really played out that way. Some people are more important than others. Maybe, I don't know. For centuries now, when describing the process of uncovering and discovering the truth about a complicated mystery, writers and storytellers have been using the analogy of unraveling a thread. It is definitely a cliché, but it does work. For me, ever since that afternoon back in 2016 and the dark and stale bar where Phil had first told me this story, there had been two main threads of interest about Victor's death. One thread was a rumor about Victor getting killed by people connected with the Boston mob or mafia, and the other thread was the one about Victor getting in a fight in a bar the night he died. 
Ray and Tina Havelock had finally given me an explanation for the Boston thread, namely Henry Palazzo, and then, rather suddenly, the Morton County Sheriff's Office gave me some insight into the other thread, the alleged altercation in a bar, that one-page complaint report. I wondered, of course, if these two threads were intertwined. Had Phil been right? Was Victor actually in an altercation that night? And if he was, who with? And so, in this episode, the first thing I want to share with you is what I learned about the altercation. After that, I want to share my findings when looking into the potential criminal backgrounds of not just Henry and Mike Palazzo, but also Victor Newberry. And later in this episode, we will meet four people. Before meeting them, I understood that they all had two things in common. The first thing they had in common was they all loved Victor in their own different ways. The other thing they had in common was that, at some point in the evening, they were all at J.R.'s bar, where Victor worked, on the night of his death. And so, they are a type of collective witness to whatever events occurred there that night. I met individually with all four of these friends of Victor, these witnesses, to learn a little more about Victor, but also to try to find out exactly what went down in J.R.'s bar on the evening of December 26, 2014. You're listening to Dakota Spotlight Season 1, one man's personal quest to explain another man's perplexing death. What happened exactly to Victor Newberry of Glen Ellen, North Dakota, found dead next to his vehicle in December of 2014? My name is James Walner. Music by Julia Kent. Visit dakotaspotlight.com for more information. Suggest stories for future seasons, submit tips and questions, see photographs, and sign up for the newsletter. Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. One rainy afternoon, I stopped into the Morton County Sheriff's Office in Mandan, North Dakota, paid my $2 for one piece of paper, and suddenly I had a police complaint report in my hand. Complaint number 2014-006822. There was not a lot of information on it, but this is the picture that it painted. On December 26, 2014, the day after Christmas, at 10 minutes to midnight, 
a 911 dispatcher received a call from Doc's bar about a disturbance. Doc's bar is not the bar where Victor worked, but it is located right next door. Sheriff officers were dispatched immediately at 11.50 p.m., and they arrived at Doc's bar at exactly midnight. The officer dispatched was Officer Pastor. Officers Lameau and Leclerc also assisted. By 12.09 a.m., so nine minutes later, the scene was cleared. Certainly this was not a bloodbath or terribly serious situation. Nine minutes sounded to me more like the amount of time it takes to tell some people to knock it off and give them a warning. And that is about all this report says. There are no other names listed on this simple dispatch record. There is a time analysis section that breaks down response time, cue time, action time, and so on, but basically, that was it. But of course, what it did tell me was that some sort of disturbance took place within a one-minute walk from the bar where Victor worked. Obviously, I would need to keep tugging at that thread to find out where it might lead. Before we meet Victor's friends, I want to share with you my findings from when I looked into the criminal backgrounds of Victor Newberry and Henry and Mike Palazzo. I wanted to know if there was any kind of proof, and by proof I mean official documentation such as arrest records or court records, for any kind of criminal behavior for these guys. By the way, in case you're wondering how I access this information, first of all, let me say that this is all from public and open records, available to you just as much as they are to me. Most of it is very easy to access, and if by chance you are interested in learning more about your rights as a citizen and open records laws, or if you yourself want to get into investigative reporting or researching, we will be talking about open records laws too later in this series. So let's look into the criminal backgrounds of these three individuals. I'll start off with Victor Newberry. Victor did have a criminal record. That is, I found one arrest record in North Dakota, and that arrest involved a pistol. This was a full nine years before Victor died, way before Henry and Victor had likely had any kind of dealings with each other. Victor was arrested near Glenallen, a time zone away in nearby Richardson, North Dakota. He was charged with possession of a firearm in a licensed liquor establishment. It was a place called Cheers and Beers, and he was carrying a Jenning 9mm semi-automatic pistol. After his court date on December 28, 2005, almost nine years to the day before his death, Victor paid a criminal administration fee in the amount of $200 and a defense facility fee of $100 and was placed on one year of supervised probation. On his court documents, Victor's signature is sleek and elegant. It sweeps across the page as if penned with quill and ink. I couldn't find any other charges against Victor. Why Victor was carrying a pistol way back in 2005 is unknown to me. I also looked into Henry's background, Victor's nemesis, the man who was dating Donna Schantz and who had allegedly threatened Victor to the point that Victor had asked Ray to borrow a pistol for protection. I could not find any arrests for Henry Palazzo in North Dakota or elsewhere. If Henry was a loose cannon, he was a smart cannon or a lucky one who had managed to stay out of legal trouble. But because Henry is deceased, I was also able to send a Freedom of Information Act request to the FBI regarding him. I didn't really expect to get anything of substance back, but I did it anyway. Those responses often take weeks, so 
I dropped it in the mailbox, and in the meanwhile, I looked into Mike Palazzo's criminal background, too. Mike Palazzo had a record. This was the man who Ray said would often run his mouth and say things like, I could have you taken care of. He had been arrested three times, once in Montana, North Dakota, and Florida. Fall is here and class is back in session. It's a busy time for students and faculty, and with a new school year comes new adventures, new experiences, and new goals to achieve. But as much promise and excitement as the fall semester brings, there can also be a dark side to it, one in which the unthinkable can happen. I'm Amy Slashberg. And I'm Megan Sachs. And we're the hosts of the podcast Campus Killings. As educators and criminologists, we teach, research, write, and podcast about victims, offenders, and the issues that surround our criminal justice system. Amy and I have both worked in the field of criminal justice for 20 years, myself in law enforcement and Amy in the mental health field. In Campus Killings, we'll dive into some of the most shocking and tragic murders to happen on school grounds, and we'll provide our analysis on the cases we cover as both educators and trained criminologists. We'll discuss what went wrong and what could have been done differently to prevent the tragic outcome. Campus Killings is available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Subscribe now so you don't miss a single episode of Campus Killings. Scams and Cons tells you how scams are run and why people fall for them. And I've lost everything. It's all I had. Uh, It's any inheritance that I could have passed on my daughter. Many of the people you meet today were financially devastated when they started using Jeff's system. And now they're making more money than they ever dreamed of. Scams are illusions intended to make you believe that giving up your money is the most sensible thing you can do. Find out how it's done by listening to Scams and Cons wherever you get podcasts. We are about to meet four of Victor's friends who will tell us a lot about the night Victor died. But before that, I want to finish telling you about the three arrest records I found regarding Henry's brother. I only share these because one of the arrest reports documents behavior which is consistent with something Ray Havelock told us, namely that threats were occasionally made and this behavior resembles what many people associate with the behavior of organized crime. It turns out, Henry's brother didn't just threaten Ray, a private person, he also threatened law enforcement. As you will see, this apparently happened one night after Mr. Palazzo called the sheriff's office himself in an attempt to evict a woman from one of his rental homes in Glen Ullen. The first arrest was in Montana. He was arrested for criminal endangerment. In North Dakota, he was arrested riding Glen Ullen on July 7, 2014, a few months before Victor's death. The arrest occurred at 3.55 a.m. on an early Monday morning. The charge was disorderly conduct, and he was arrested by Officer Kreisen of the Morton County Sheriff's Office. I've let a voice actor narrate two sections of this police report because it's safe to say that what is documented here supports the things that Ray Havelock and his wife shared earlier. Again, the voice you will hear is not the voice of Officer Kreisen. The words, however, are Kreisen's as written on the police report, with the one exception that we've changed the name of the man he arrested. I, Deputy Jason Kreisen, arrested Michael Palazzo of Glen Ullen for disorderly conduct on Monday, July 7, 2014. Deputy Kreisen was there because Mike Palazzo had called the sheriff himself a little before midnight and asked them to evict a woman and her mother from a home he was renting to them. The three-page report explains that the woman Palazzo was attempting to evict was in a relationship with him. Deputy Kreisen spoke with her, and she told him that Palazzo had been drinking, and she was through with him, and she would be leaving town in the morning. She was done. 
The officer managed to cool things down a bit, and everyone was in agreement that nobody would be evicted in the middle of the night, and she would be on her way in the morning. Palazzo returned to his own home a few blocks away. But a couple hours later, at 2.30 in the morning, Kreisen was dispatched again to Glenolan. Palazzo was back at his rental, causing a disturbance. Another officer named Pastor joined him, and once again, they attempted to cool down Mr. Palazzo. Things did not go so well this time. Kreisen notes in this report that Palazzo was very drunk and continued to tell the officers to remove the tenants from the home. Again, this is at 2.30 in the morning. Palazzo said that either we removed them or he was going to get someone to do it. Palazzo then told us his boys were going to be there in an hour, and Officer Pastier and I would need backup to handle the situation. I asked Palazzo what he meant by this, and he told us that his boys would handle it and that we were going to need backup. I asked Palazzo if he was threatening us, and he became more angry, began to yell and accuse me of not doing my job and saying that he was going to take care of the situation. I then told Palazzo to approach me, and I placed him under arrest for disorderly conduct. If Mike Palazzo was the type of guy who could tell law enforcement that his boys are coming and that the cops are going to need backup, it is not hard to imagine that he might make similar or much worse threats to other people, people who do not have a pistol on their hip nor the ability to arrest him and put him in jail. This police report documents and illustrates that it is absolutely safe to say that Ray Havelock and his wife's version of the dynamics in this little town of Glen Ullen seem incredibly accurate. I also want to tell you about Palazzo's arrest in Florida because it is of interest from a chronological aspect. His arrest in Florida was at 5.13 a.m. on the morning of March 4, 2015, about nine weeks after Victor died. The address he gave police officers there at the time was that of a motel near the Daytona Speedway. A restraining order was put on him there, and he was ordered to stay away from a Candace Buttafuoco, not her real name, and Candace was also arrested the same day in some sort of automobile accident or incident. According to the Morton County Sheriff's Office, neither Henry Palazzo, his brother, or any of Henry's associates are considered to be in any way involved with Victor's death. My purpose for sharing with you these public documents, and by the way, I'll remind you that these are all documents that you yourself could either look up online or purchase from the Morton County Sheriff's Office. My purpose for sharing them is to help demonstrate and explain where the Boston thread came from and why some people in Glen Allen have speculated that there could be more to Victor's death than what they've read about in the newspaper. I did search near and far, by the way, for Henry's brother in order to get his take on all of this, but I was unable to locate him. We are about to meet four people. All four were friends of Victor, and at some point on the evening of December 26, 2014, they were all in downtown Glen Ullen at JR's Bar, the place where Victor was working as a bartender and where they last saw their friend alive. I can tell you that, at times, these conversations became emotional and difficult. Meeting these people, it was obvious that Victor Newberry held an important place in their hearts, and talking about him seemed a sad reminder of how much he is missed still to this day. Out of respect for Victor and his friends, I won't be sharing with you most of those tougher moments. 
to begin with, I will introduce you to them briefly by letting them tell us a little bit about Victor. After that, they will all tell us what they remember about that fateful night. Let's start out with Victor's ex-girlfriend, Donna Schantz. Even though the two were broken up at the time of his death, it was obvious to me, while talking to her, that once upon a time, Donna and Victor had shared something very special. Can you tell me how you met um, Victor? Um, actually, me and a couple friends were coming back from Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, and we stopped in Richardson, and he was in there shooting pool all by himself. And I challenged in, and we just met again, and that's. Right. And then we just dated for like seven years. Seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about Victor? What he was like? He was a very um, hard worker. A very. Um, he was just very gentle. He was. Uh, Caring, very caring. He very generous. Very, he was really good like that. He was just an all-around good guy. Brad Nesper is a young man who moved to North Dakota from Northern California. I can tell you from experience that, as an outsider, moving into a small community in the Dakotas can sometimes be a lonely fate. That is, unless you have someone like Victor who welcomes you with open arms. What's it like to be a Raiders fan in North Dakota? Well, well, there's a few people that don't like it, and but I don't care. You know, I'm probably one of the, one of the few Raider fans, and I'm diehard Raider fan, <laughs> always going to be. Victor was Victor. He was um, he's a good dude, real good dude. You know, nice. You know, just. And an outstanding guy, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, because I, I was just devastated, you know, I mean, he was, you know, he was, I was like his little brother almost, some, you know, somewhat. I met Victor at the bar. My mom introduced me to Donna, uh, and both Donna and Victor pretty much kind of just took me underneath their wing and, you know, just kind of showed me around, you know, and I mean, I only knew him for about four or five years, but. We always hang out together, you know. When my mom was gone, he'd always sent, have me come over and hey, come on, come on over, Brad. We're making dinner tonight. You know, don't worry about messing up your kitchen. We're making dinner tonight. Come over and eat. Oh, nice. He do that to me, do that for me all the time while she was gone in California. Oh, his ribs. He he loved his ribs. Uh, Crown Royal. Yep. Happy go lucky. Actually, I don't think I've really ever seen him that drunk. Maybe once or twice, but he pretty much held his alcohol pretty well. He told me he was half German and half black. He always told me he was half black and half white. That's what I understand. That's what Vic told me. This is Doug Martwick, one of Victor's good friends in Glen Ellen. I don't see how anybody could find a fault with him. He was just a great person. Great person to be around. Give you the shirt off his back. He was a good friend of mine, work, co-worker together. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. We just always enjoyed each other and being around each other. I'll tell you one thing, he could handle his crown royal. Yeah, I, I could never keep up with him. No way. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Now, old Vic, was, when he was drinking, he was never really staggering or anything. He was, he had plenty. He was always in control. And we drank a lot together. Well, Either in my shop or downtown or 
wherever we were. And I just feel sorry for the family. He was a good friend. We miss him a lot, every day. I carry his keychain he had when he worked with me every day when I'm working. When he passed away, that was still in my pickup and I put my keys on and I carry it with me every day. I asked Doug if he had heard any speculation that Henry might have had something to do with Victor's death. They did. They just speculated a lot. Explain what that speculation was all about. Well, because Henry was being an ass. Donna was Vic's girlfriend for a long time, and then they broke up, and then Henry was going with Donna, and then Henry hated Victor. Actually, I heard that he came in the bar and he told Victor he was going to kill him, but, but you never know, that could have been drunk talk. Well, I knew Henry and him didn't like each other. I just, I didn't know how far anybody would go, but... I can't say. I have no proof. I have no, I don't know if the authorities, I, I heard they followed up on it, but I'm not sure. A little bit about Victor? Uh, he was a great guy. He would do anything for anybody. And I worked with him on a few jobs, and he was just, I don't know what to say about him. He was awesome. This is another good friend of Victor's. He has asked me not to use his real name, so we will be calling him Stephen. I don't know. He was probably my best friend at the time, and you know, and I was 20 years younger than him. So, but like Crown Royal. <laughs> at times, Stephen would drive slowly past Victor's house, hoping that Victor would see him and then give him a call and invite him in. Oh yeah, I drive by real slow, and then he'd call me about two seconds later. Stop it! <laughs> I do. You know, like I'll just drive by real slow, and Victor's gonna call me. <laughs> That's all I got to say about Victor. He's a great guy, and I miss him every day. Now that you have been introduced to Donna, Brad, Doug, and Stephen, I want to share with you what they told me about the night Victor died. When I spoke with them, we invariably discussed things that fell into two categories, observations and speculation. We will start with their observations, the things they saw with their own eyes. Later on, we will hear about their speculations and their attempts to explain how Victor got from point A, the bar, to point B, the spot north of town where he was later found dead. As you will see, even with the help of these four people who were at the bar that night, putting this puzzle together remains a difficult task. It was December 26, 2014, the day after Christmas, and Victor was tending bar at JR's, also called Junior's, in downtown Glenelland at 114 East South Avenue. At the time of this recording, Google Street View still shows a photo with the JR sign out front of the narrow brick building. Next to JR's on the left is a larger building with yellow metal siding and what looks like a false storefront resembling slabs of slate. The sign there says Schmidt's Beer and Scooters, but at the time, that bar was called Doc's Bar. That's the bar where we now know an altercation took place around 15 minutes before midnight. So listen in and take a slow stroll through the events of that evening.
After a couple days of celebrating the holidays with family, some of the residents of Glen Ullen were eager to get out and meet their adult friends for a drink in downtown Glen Ullen. Brad Nesper was there. Oh, I was probably down there about 8 o'clock and was there until just about closing. As was Victor's friend, Stephen. Because he was attending bar and I was drinking. Like, I mean, we weren't sober by any means. And apparently, Victor had recently had an operation. And um, he just got off, he just had a, a back surgery. And he, he was back to work within, you know, he, it was about two weeks since his back surgery. But that didn't stop him from having a good time. Victor was coming out behind the bar and dancing a little bit, having some fun. And there was, I mean, it, it, I mean, it wasn't completely packed, but there was quite a few locals in there. I remember Henry coming in, but he wasn't, you know, acting like a fool or anything that I remember. I know him and Victor really didn't see eye to eye because of Donna. And they'd had words before, but I don't think they were having words that night that I remember. Actually, I think they were pretty cordial with each other that night. I think they'd pretty much gotten over it. You know, they may not have, they tolerated each other. You know, it, it, it got to, to where they just tolerated. It didn't mean that they liked each other, but, you know, they tolerated each other. A couple girls come in, and we were all having fun. Everybody was dancing, and... We're all in there, my uncle, Nick, and everybody, and uh, these two women and this guy came in. Never seen him before, haven't seen him since. And they were, they even asked me, they were asking everybody to do ecstasy. Even me, they asked me, and I said, "You get out of my face, and you get out of got get out of my face right now. I don't want to talk to you anymore." Brad remembered those people too. So when you say a couple of girls, are you referring to those out of towners? Yes. What can you tell me about them? Not much. I'd never met them before until that night. Have no. ever seen them since? No. One was blonde, and one was uh, dark hair, maybe um, part Indian. And she was wearing like a pink, like a tutu with some tight, um, some tights on. They were all ripped up and everything, you know, the blonde. Donna and her friends went next door for a while, she thinks, to Doc's bar, but she later came back. The three strangers, those two women and a guy, they went over to Doc's bar too, Donna believes, although her memory seems a little fuzzy. And so, okay, they were so sickening that me and my uncle and Leanne and our friends, you know, went over next door to get away from them. Next door is? Scooters. Oh, no, no, docks at the time, docks. Right. And then they came over there then. all No. Yeah. No, 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 no. They didn't come over there. Yeah, they did. And so we went back. Okay, they came over there, and then they went, and then we went back over there. And then, at about 11 p.m., they think. All of a sudden, next thing you know, Victor's gone. And Carrie, my niece, was working. Carrie ended up bartending. 
And she was like, well, where did Victor go? And I said, oh, where'd Victor go? You know, and she said, I don't know. He told me to cover for five minutes, to cover him for five minutes. And then all of a sudden, those three people were gone. Victor left his cell phone and some other belongings in the bar. But he left his coat there, his computer, which he never left. I mean, he left everything there and he just was gone. And then the next morning, Doug and the others woke up to that unexpected and sad news. They found him out here across the river, which how he'd even know about going out there is beyond me. <laughs> Went across the tracks and they found him laying out there with door open, car, his vehicle running, just laying there and he was he deceased. And they say hypothermia, but <laughs> that's what they said. I can't remember if my daughter called me or somebody called me. This is Doug Martwick again. And uh, I was just shocked because I'd just seen him the night before, you know. And we tried to see what happened. Went out to where it was supposedly happened. Well, by then it was all kinds of footprints out there because the cops and stuff were out there. But I just couldn't fathom that happening. Not the way I was explained that he just slipped and fell and hit his head. We heard he went in the ditch out there. Then he slipped on the ice and the snow because he was down in the ditch and fell over and hit his head on the... Do you remember how much snow was out there? Hardly, not much. Maybe about five or six inches. There wasn't a lot of snow that year. That day it wasn't that cold, but at night it got cold, so... And Stephen, who used to drive slow past Victor's house in the hopes that his friend might invite him in, he heard the news, too. I jumped in my car, come tearing out there, and there's freaking cops and ambulances. And, and there he was laying in the freaking ditch with his arm up in the air like this. I just seen his arm up in the air. And I knew he was dead, you know. next time on Dakota Spotlight. But Henry had nothing to do with this. And I know that for a fact. Then he met some girls and and somebody told me that he left with them. They sh- he, he never showed up and they did come back. I mean, you can see who fucking walks out of the bar with him. I mean, what, I mean, Really? Are you an investigator? Writer and podcaster. I don't know if you ever listen to podcasts. You know what? They should have a fucking FBI on this shit. You know, it's about time this shit happened. Nobody else seems to give a shit. But somebody told me there was a guy, too, with him. But we told the authorities about it, so we don't know how far that went. Because we've never seen him since. And why nothing ever became of this, I don't know.
You have been listening to Dakota Spotlight Season 1, the story of Victor Newberry. Music provided graciously by Julia Kent. Visit juliakent.com to learn more about Julia and her amazing work. Dakota Spotlight is produced by Everything Midwestern LLC of North Dakota. My name is James Wolner. Visit dakotaspotlight.com for more information. If you find yourself enjoying this podcast and would like to help support it and maybe make possible a season two, visit dakotaspotlight.com slash support to find out the many ways you can help out. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Apple users can even subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.